Mm-hmm. <clears throat> this is the five seconds of silence. Sorry, sorry. Well, greetings and welcome again to Bombadil's Porch. Today is December 17th. Hard to believe, but we are actually rounding out the end of this year. December 17th, 2020. I am Chris Martin. I'm here again with Caleb Klontz and Nate Laramore. We are three Christian dads that are still working on recovering the lost art of sitting on the front porch. I don't know when we will ever succeed in this adventure. Because the porch moves. The porch moves. Is it Laramore or Larmore? Alarmor. Alarmor. Sorry. What did I say? Every pastor I've known has mispronounced it. Isn't that interesting? Just pastors? Just pastors will say Laramore. I always figured it had to do with Greek or Hebrew training. (laughs) That's definitely it. Larmore. Larmore. Sorry. Lamour. I wasn't trying to talk. We do like Lewis. Lamour. Oh, that's Lamour. I have to finish my intro. Then you can make fun of me again. Sorry. Is this recording? This is recording. Yep. We're totally live. (laughs) Okay. Crud. All right. Yeah. Back Uh, on track. Yes, because we are three Christian dads that like each other. And in the spirit of Christian charity and love, we gather on Bombadil's porch so that we can talk about the world uh, that God has created and the word that God has given to us. Today, we are looking at God's world uh, during this podcast. We'll be looking first at Tom Cruise commenting on his crew about COVID. Commenting. Yes. Saying it nicely. Commenting. We'll find what manner of comment those were. Also, a reason to be psyched up for attending church. And a local family that hangs a shining Bible atop the highest stack of books in all of Deer Park. So, thanks for joining us, and we will turn first to news from the wider world. And Nate, tell us about Tom Cruise and his comments on COVID. You almost said Tom Cruise, didn't you? With all the C's in there, Tom Cruise and his comments. There, I was, <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, sorry, I got distracted. I really want to get to that last segment about the the, the Tower of Books in Deer Park. but um... Mine, Mine's interesting, too. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to do about church being. You're going to do to me what I did to Caleb last week. (laughs) And then our next segment. Hey. (laughs) Hey. Um, Yes. I don't know. Did you guys see this? It came out in the last couple of days. This Tom, this audio recording of Tom Cruise and. And, and and for 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 our listeners, Tom Cruise is an, an American actor. Do, do we need to introduce <laughs> Tom Cruise anymore? Well, our extensive so. international audience that's may right. not be as familiar with his august body of work. I'm actually a big fan of Tom Cruise movies. I mean, I, I, can you think of? Are you guys? Maybe you're not. I I just I think as an actor, he's actually really yeah. entertaining. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that he's one of the few that still seems to do most of the stuff. Yes, that you think he's doing on screen. That is true. Yeah, the guy he doesn't have like nine body doubles. The guy is hung on the outside of an airplane for scenes. That's kind of maybe one of his more famous ones. That was took, pretty cool. Took James Corden skydiving. Did you? Guys... <laughs> wow, that would be an interesting one to watch. And they actually you YouTube that. It's that pretty would be hilarious. I saw they actually built like multiple levels of the Burj Dubai in a sound stage so that he could do all his stunts there. And then he was like, "Why don't we just do this on the real thing?" And so they actually rescheduled the entire shoot. So he could run down the outside of the actual Burj Dubai. What a oh, uh, that's a, pretty cool. Kind of kind of a studly dude. Um, I know if I called him a John Wayne, we'd probably have people. We'd get some some listener feedback then. Um, yep. No, he's not. He's anyway. just like John Wayne. Leave us a voicemail at bombadillsporch.com. <laughs> so from London, um, in case you didn't know, they're recording Mission Impossible Two. They're filming that in London right Wait, now. Isn't has there already been like five? <laughs> Must not be two. No, seven. Excuse me. Okay. Sorry. okay. Uh, I was just saying. Okay. Did you Plus know five. That? There's more than one. No, Did you mean like so. he's <laughs> filming Mission Impossible as well? Uh, two, T-O-O. As, I don't know why I said else. two. I must yeah. be reading way ahead on my notes. There you are. You're probably reading my segment. Uh, uh, yeah, I'm trying to get onto that really whole Tower of Books and Deer Park business there. Well, but mine's actually, really, a different story. Yeah, mine's interesting. <laughs> but mine was a world one. So Mission Impossible 7 is being filmed in London. That's why even though Tom's an American, this could be this. This qualifies as a world news article. Indeed. Mm. A recording came out this week, in fact, yesterday, and the British newspaper The Sun published leaked audio. <clears throat> and they said that uh, Cruz, who's now age 58, 58. This, wow. This is like Top Gun here, and the guy's 58 already. Apparently, he went completely ballistic. And I did I did listen to the audio. Um, it it It... It is profanity laden, so there's a, a warning to anyone who tunes into it. Um, but it it this outburst 
he goes ballistic on two crew members who he believed had breached their COVID-19 protocols while on set there near London. In the audio, Cruz does appear to tell the crew that Hollywood is relying on these would-be blockbusters, just like MI7, to boost the film industry in a time of stalled production and theater closures. I, I really can't... Did you listen to this leaked audio? I, I did listen, and I can't... Um, so was it just appears, or that's actually what he said? Well, um, it's a little hard to hear at all times, at least it was for me. So, okay. But he, he really is talking... I mean, there's an intensity to this that you almost wonder... By the way, for, for a guy who's having a, an angry outburst... It's, extra, it's exceptionally well-worded. There are no uhs, uhs. He doesn't get lost in thought. It's very eloquent, actually. You'd think, <laughs> Scripted, maybe. You'd think on a Hollywood soundstage, you could have at least quality leaked audio. <laughs> they only have, like, the best audio and video gear on the planet. I'm guessing it's someone's phone in their pocket Was it or in something. Their po- oh, okay. And you could kind of hear in the background a couple of times someone sheepishly saying, yes, sir. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> but uh, he is going absolutely bonkers in this audio and to be easy enough to find it there's a link for you guys here in the show notes but um he does drop some drop some bombs shall we say in there he is clearly perturbed Hmm. and very intense so the reactions to this rant varied greatly uh when you looked at twitter facebook or other platforms these were flooded with reactions to his rant. The verdict was decidedly mixed from people responding. Many folks that you would expect kind of came to his defense. People like George Clooney, uh, well, Whoopi Goldberg is one, but I think the whole panel, all the folks on The View and various other producers and directors all said they qualified it with, I probably wouldn't have done it that way, but I totally mm-hmm. get where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. Other people, uh, Trevor Noah the other night, said that uh, it was you know a bit over the top. I wouldn't have done it that way, but at least he's angry about the right things. So kind of Indeed. interesting where you have... That's what matters. You have a powerful person like Cruz, who's undoubtedly one of the executive producers on the show at this point. So clearly a power player, probably one of the most famous Hollywood A-listers that's, that's around these days. And you have him berating and screaming uh, in a in a what seems to be a pretty uncontrolled way, hmm. and it's kind of interesting that all these other power players in in the day and age in which we live, where kindness is everything and being nice to everyone is everything, are coming to his defense. Now there were others that um, were not so charitable in their response. Others faulted the the actor for what they saw as an unnecessarily cruel and expletive laden tirade. I love that. I mean, I love the wording there uh, against work, against workers. And this is what's interesting. This is why I thought this would be interesting to get you guys to, against workers who have significantly less power. Amazing how a year ago, nobody was talking about power imbalance except for dorky college professors and master's degrees in in study fields that you didn't even know existed. Now Marxists. it's just everywhere. I thought this one uh, response was particularly interesting. Melanie Liu, who is a producer who's worked on television commercials and digital ad campaigns, said that she could, quote, understand the sentiment behind what he said. But then she went on to say he's a rich, powerful white man that has been placed on this pedestal on a world stage. And then she said, but if I, a young Asian-American woman, took that tone with my crew on a set, that just wouldn't be acceptable. She went on to say in the in her interview that she would probably, uh, interesting enough, if she had done something like that, she'd probably find herself directing car ads, which is kind of interesting because I think that's kind of what she does now. But it, it struck <laughs> me as interesting that- That can be a good gig though. Could yeah. be. Uh, it, maybe there's good money there. But again, it came back to, it was not about no one had took any issue with the profanity. Very few seemed to take issue with the over-the-top tone but it, interestingly enough, his critics, it all came back to power imbalance, which just shows you what where the worldview is with a lot of folks. Uh, one critic, though, took a different perspective, not, not that she wasn't critical of it, but um, Leah uh, Ramini, 
who's a former Scientologist. She took this perspective. And uh, am I saying that right, Caleb? Do you know? Leah Romini from King of Queens and a variety of other TV shows. She's an actress. Yeah, I think that's think right. So. She's been a, a huge critic of Scientology. She was once part of the Scientology cult and, as she would say, escaped the cult and has been a very loud critic uh, for a variety of reasons for some time now. Uh, if For those of you who don't know, I mean, Tom Cruise is probably the most famous Scientologist in the world. For sure. If you do any re research on Scientology, uh, he is by far the the poster child of the movement. And that's by design. If you if you look into this stuff a little bit, not you, you could waste a lot of time. I don't want to recommend you do that. But the the current head of Scientology has really used Cruz as not only a great fundraiser with with Cruz donation donating, but using Cruz as 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 I said, the poster child of this is what's great about Scientology. Uh, Leah Romini comes out about this whole COVID-19 rant and says that Tom Cruise is an abusive person. Anything you see, And then she goes on to say, anything you see coming from Scientology and Scientologists, such as mask wearing and supposedly human, humanitarian efforts, is just a show. It's for public relations reasons only. She insists that Cruise, quote, does not believe in illness. Because apparently, according to right. the theology... Right. My question was... <laughs> How does he get upset about COVID when, if he's a Scientologist, COVID doesn't actually exist, right? It's a state of mind. Mm. That's exactly where she goes. And I found this interesting. Because so he was wearing, I saw him out wearing two face masks recently. Yes. Like he had them double stacked to be extra, extra careful. And I thought, shouldn't he be like, I'm a Scientologist. I don't wear face masks. In fact, you know, like I, I breathe as much COVIDed air as I can to prove that it's a state of mind and mm -hmm. that I have overcome such things. So interestingly enough, anyway. and that's kind of why I wanted to get you guys' uh, perspective Jumping on ahead. this. Go ahead. No, no, that's all right. It's good, actually, because I'm, I'm nearly to the point where I'd say, what do you guys think? Good, because uh, we're out of time. You're gonna... <laughs> <laughs> what are we at? Oh, yeah, we are almost out of time. It, it, you know, it's so small, that timer over there. For our listeners, um, Chris has instituted the tyranny of the clock here on the porch. He downgraded us from a 75-inch screen that we could actually see. To like an iPad yeah, over there. Yeah, a tiny little thing. What is going on around inches? here? I came in and the porch had moved, and now we got went from 72 inches of LED glory to the iPad. I blame COVID. Three tables to two. <laughs> Nate and I are sharing a table now. Uh-oh. Yeah. I mean, socially distanced. Quit touching my foot, Caleb. Good grief. No wonder we can't get through this segment. So uh, back, to, back to Tom Cruise. Back to Tom. Yep. So Romini states that the rant, Cruz's rant, showcases his true personality. And his high-ranking position in Scientology skews his real review. It makes him believe that he's entitled to abuse and berate people. She's also not convinced that the rant was even authentic. She uh, speculated that Cruz probably had the diatribe written for him by mm -hmm. an assistant. Apparently, he has a Scientology assistant that travels with him everywhere he goes. Well, that's and, nice. Yeah, yeah. Good to have an assistant. And then she wraps up by saying, Tom's reaction that was released yesterday shows his true personality. He is an abusive person. I witnessed it. I've been a recipient of it on a small level. And I've been told of similar abuse by his former girlfriend, his employees, and his friends. This is the real Tom. Hmm. Now, I didn't want to dump on Tom because, by the way, I can't wait till MI7, not two. I've seen two. Wasn't very good, <laughs> by the way. Two was probably the weakest one. Two was, yeah, probably. Which was two? Three was okay. Two was was. Um, Did the good guys win in two? Uh -huh. Yeah, there were good guys and bad guys, and there was a virus. <laughs> yeah, uh, a virus. Stop. There was a thing where he had to decide Present. if he was going to choose to accept the mission or not. Oh, did he? Does he ever I think not he accept? Does every time. Okay. Okay. It was one where he grew his hair long. It just had a bad vibe to the whole movie. I didn't. Well, care was that the for one it. where they hired sort of that really artistic um, director who did like? Endless montages of like their faces in slow mo as they were like flying past oh, each other from explosions. You know, or I don't something. know, but as you describe it, that feels like that movie. It felt it's yeah. I, I know one of them people were the Google search. People were getting on their case because it it's just like half the movie was these just slow mo shots of people's faces slowly moving, hair slowly blowing. Yeah, probably. Yeah, they needed to get and you know Tom being one not of the, distracting you at all. The from great your main point. Well, and I I'd love to uh, shoot. We could spend hours talking film, uh, but I I do want I do want to touch on this point though. We live in a period of time where everyone. It's, it's interesting. They don't judge what actually happened. 
They judge everything about what the, why they think it happened, what the context and perspective was. It just struck me as interesting that when I was reading through various articles about what happened, it was very little about the words he used, very little about is there an actual risk on movie sets or not, very little about any of is what he's freaking out about actually true. Is the future of Hollywood relying upon his crew's ability to wear masks at all times? Uh, there was nothing about that. It was all about either... Can a white man talk to people that work for him? Judging power balances, mm. judging uh, whether you know his gender. In, it was fascinating to me. And mm. In some ways, it kind of reminded me, and maybe I'm, maybe I'm overstating it. I think we live in like the absolute most stupid time in U.S. history ever right now because no one seems to talk about anything that actually happened. It's immediately all these impressions and perspectives of people that weren't even there and why it's so meaningful based on their context. <laughs> Anyway, uh, I, I, I know we don't have time to delve into a worldview discussion, but do you, do you guys agree? <laughs> do, do, do you guys agree? Is this a stupid time to be alive? I mean, we can't really ch make a choice about this, but man, how do you even operate in this kind of a, uh, in this kind of a environment? I don't know if it's a stupid time to be alive. It's kind of a cool time to be alive, but, but there is stupidity abounding in the time that we're in. Yeah, I there there is a lot of stupidity, but I want to qualify that by saying it's stupidity in the biblical sense of the term. Uh because there's a lot of very smart people in the sense of intelligent out there and what we're seeing is the kind of dialogue that arises from an extensive and now two or three generation long process of discipleship of ideas by people that are very very intelligent. Uh but it it's comes across as insanity because it's missing. You, you don't want to go into worldview, but too bad. Why don't I? <laughs> I actually right, don't yeah. mind. Yeah. We're, miss, we're missing all of the, the categories of human existence that allowed sane conversations to be attempted in the past. And, and that's, that's going to get continually worse as we keep, in the name of progress, in the name of intelligence, erasing more and more of the basic vocabulary of reality. Uh, it it is interesting to me that our culture has finally remembered again the importance of symbols. Right, every uh, there are there's symbols throughout uh, every culture, every, you know, the world itself, and our culture has finally remembered like, oh, things do have sign symbolic significance, but now everything is symbolic for their teeny tiny myopic view of what's driving everything in the world, and so everything is symbolic of power imbalance. Everything is symbolic of oppression. Everything is symbolic of systemic problems, and that's all that they see everywhere. And so they're picking out these gnats and saying, this is a symbol of the problem. So is Tom Cruise stressed? Does he, make, does he have an irritable personality? Is he scared about COVID? Is he concerned about his, his crew, about the success of Hollywood because his whole future and his whole life has been tied to that industry? And he snaps at these guys and speaks harshly to them. Um, is that what happened, or is this a microcosm example of the ongoing power imbalances between the rich white people and everybody else? <laughs> and this is a picture of the oppression that's holding the whole world back from progress. It all depends on how you view it. The part that just makes me just shake my head sometimes is that these people that can try to pull symbols out of nowhere, mm -hmm. they can look at the whole planet mm -hmm. and miss the fact that the entire world they're living in is as a giant symbol. It's mm. pointing to an or inescapable reality uh, that their heart that is bothered by a sense of injustice, the very fact that they have this code in them that they can't get rid of is a massive symbol that points to a larger transcendent reality. And so that we're, we're straining, we are straining for gnats and swallowing camels as a culture. Uh, and it's because we've actually raced the word camel out of the dictionary. You know, vocabulary you mentioned that triggers a, th uh, a thought. Or I was, taxonomy. I was listening mm. to a pundit this week, well-known pundit, and he has begun, I think, interestingly and accurately, he's characterized what's going on. Uh, and he, he, he now, I think it's interesting, he now refers to this ruling elite, this, this cultural elite uh, you, you would you would know who their their prominent faces are, but they they have common themes. But he actually says that they, they're not when it comes to their virtue. It's not 
he would suggest it's not about any kind of agenda. It's about jargon and vocabulary. And they use secret words to talk to each other. They use all kinds of strange things to, uh, to uh, he would even, he even said once so far is systemic oppression, systemic. These are just, these aren't real things. These are just vocab that people will use to trigger, hey, you and I are part of the same club, but it's not based on reality. It's a shibboleth. A water? The, the, the story from the Old Testament uh, where you had these guys guarding this bridge from an army that was defeated, and they would say, say the name of this uh, place, because oh. one side would say Sibboleth, and the other side couldn't say Sibboleth. Uh-huh. They'd say Shibboleth, and if you said it wrong, they'd slaughter you and throw you in the river. I thought you just said it with a lisp. Shibboleth. <laughs> nope. <laughs> I would have been killed, right? I would have walked up. You're, you're dead. <laughs> you're dead. Uh, but you're right. It's a little bit of a signal. And and again, coming back a to the- A dog whistle? Coming back. Oh, yes. Oh, let's yes. Use that. We live in a time where like it seems like everybody wants, they think the metaphors are real and real world isn't. <laughs> uh, but I think when it comes back to- <laughs> So uh, true. Comes back to Tom, I, I'm with, I, I thought the same thing. I thought, you know, first of all, it's indefensible mistreating people. Uh, have we all had a rant now and then that we wish we could take back? Probably. In his case, I don't know. I'm not trying to defend the guy either. Mm. He doesn't need me to defend him. But his, does he probably have- He also doesn't need the world to dogpile on him. Can mm. we all agree that leaking everything all the time <laughs> is- Lame? That's that's like playground, you know, elementary school playground level gossip tactics. Yep. Well, somebody made money off this audio, no doubt. Um, of course. But, but in the case of this guy, uh, Cruz, he's probably got tens of millions of his own money in the project, if he's an executive producer and he's got the money to, to put at risk. Uh, but t- anytime you're at work and things aren't going well or somebody's doing something they weren't supposed to, it's frustrating. I'm not trying to defend the guy, but I think that's probably where the outburst came from. I'm, I'm fairly certain he didn't think through the uh, the power dynamics at play. Uh, fairly certain he didn't think that all through in, in, in his moment of outburst. But no. Um, How much you yeah. want to bet, though, he's being pressured today by the studio to release an official apology? Mm-hmm. Well, Watch for it. We'll talk about a Mark bunch of free, my words. Well, or on the other hand, talk about a bunch of free press for MI7. <laughs> this, there is that. Yep. All news is good leak. news. Uh, it does seem to be in this day where we have this cult uh, that has formed this cult of wokeness. It does mm. seem like he probably will be forced to apologize, although he might be immune. There's certain people that are above the fray and they get a pass. We'll see what happens. Well, anyway, enough about Tom. I, I want to I want to find out here, Chris, I, you, you keep telling us how interesting your, your segment yeah. is. And, and now I'm intrigued. Fascinating. Um, I am psyched up for church. Can you tell Excellent. me why? <laughs> Well, I had had difficulty pinning down exactly what I wanted to talk about this week because there's a lot of interesting things happening in the world. I even even wrote some into the show notes. I called them interesting tidbits Hmm. because they were interesting, but I'm not going to talk much about them. You had brought up the VLF radio frequencies a while back when you were talking about the Arecibo telescope collapsing and these broadcasts that we're making that can penetrate through the earth and through the ocean and, and be used for... Uh, communication with our subs and stuff. And mm-hmm. I mentioned up at the Jim Creek installation and some of that cool stuff there. Um, I just saw an article this week that talked about how VLF frequencies under the right conditions have actually been leaking out of our atmosphere and are forming essentially a barrier in space. They're actually altering space weather. Awesome. It is pretty cool. And it's the first, they said it's the first massive man made. Um, man-made alteration of the environment that is distinctly positive Ooh. because it's, it's actually forming, the ozone a, layer. right. It's actually, no, it's not destroying <laughs> the ozone layer. It's actually forming a buffer that is pushing the radiation of the, uh, the van, what are they called? Oh, Van Allen radiation. The van belts. Allen radiation belts. It's actually pu- pushing that radiation further away hmm. from the earth. So it actually is having a positive influence. We don't need the ozone. Now. Yeah. So I don't know what the Russians and we are saying <laughs> to our subs, but talk away. I mean, go for it. <laughs> Although oh, apparently I'm... it's such a, the frequency carries so little data. They don't actually talk typically over it. It's mostly like text hmm. based or you know, signals that are decoded to text instead of carrying a voice signal. but I'm wishing this up. wasn't just a tidbit because there's an old movie about the Van Allen radiation belt. So it was so cool. But More uh, movies. We, maybe next time. Yeah. So that was cool. I also saw that uh, the world of physics confuses me, but it's interesting. Uh, and, and many people know that the, kind of the holy grail of physics is trying to figure out how to take things that work at sort of the macro level, the level of atoms and then on, on up. And the micro level, things that seem to work at the quantum level, find a theory that explains 
both at the same time because there's sort of a set of rules that everything at the quantum level seems to follow and then there's another set of rules that everything bigger than that seems to follow they don't like that do they and there's not yeah there's not yeah. one good explanation for how all of reality works at all of the scales uh, and so some guys think they may have solved part of that problem by saying we are we've been under the assumption that the basic building blocks of the universe are waves and particles and so all of our theories are structured around waves and particles and they said what if what if we're wrong? What if what if the smallest level of the of the universe, the smallest building blocks of the universe actually resemble the largest building blocks of the universe, like galaxy, mini galaxies, um and what they called them was uh, essentially uh, little fragments of energy. That that's the basic building block, these things mm. that just sort of radiate out energy much in the same way that you would see from a distance if you looked at a galaxy, it would just look like this hot spot radiating out this cloud of energy around it. So they've begun to do some initial experiments. They've run some of the same math equations that Einstein did testing his theory of relativity. They've run them against their new theory and the equations that come up from that. And so far it keeps working. So that's kind of cool. So they're able to they're able to get results with something that makes sense at a quantum level that is also getting the correct results. Uh, at a macro level. So that'd be fun to see how that develops. It's also fascinating just to me as a Christian, you know, when we look at the universe and we believe the universe is made of God's speech act, you know, and sustained by his power. And the more and more we're getting back to what is the universe made out of, the more it's getting back to this almost ephemeral notion of just pure, pure energy, pure creative act. Um, And so at some point they will maybe dig down and figure out that these fragments of energy are made out of a heavenly language. Isn't it interesting? <laughs> it's a great reminder uh, that we lack humility as a, as a, a, a technologically advanced civilization. Uh, it shows too that science is, is, is rarely defined and settled. We hear that a lot. Right. Yeah. I think you and lack humility rare. as a lay level expert in any, <laughs> no. you know, the, the people who are on the cutting edge are always like, whoa, yeah. Cool. And, and then everybody else who's teaching it at like the college and high school level, they're like, well, as we scientists know. <laughs> it, it takes a while to write a textbook. And then by that point, you think, oh, this is how it is. And a lot of it is theoretical speculation. Yeah. But we, there are certain things that we know, but this is proof positive that um, the very substance, the very fabric of existence may be different than we had yeah. previously thought. Great intro to that whole concept. And I mentioned, I think, before on the porch. Go to YouTube, look up Gravity Explained at Five Levels, and just have fun. That is a fascinating, fascinating little video. There's a whole series along that theme. But that was pretty cool. Uh, The last little tidbit is uh, scientists think they may have discovered the scientific basis of an afterlife. And that is since quantum information Mm. can never be destroyed. I've been told on good authority that only religious nutjobs believe in such things. Right. Well... Because your version of an afterlife is one that you'd actually want to experience. (laughs) Oh, I see. But if you think of your body dissolving and your minerals breaking back down and then everything else sort of getting recycled, but that there's a quantum essence of you Mm -hmm. that may never be destroyed. Sounds like uh, there was a show they put out. uh, I think it's called Afterlife. I didn't really watch Mm. it. I didn't see it. But just something about being uploaded. I saw some preview for it or something. Oh, there on, was some. There was some, some show about being uploaded. Video. I was yeah. watching something and I saw some preview. Some guy you, gets his consciousness uploaded to some afterlife, and depending on what you pay, you get different different, different <laughs> wow. afterlife scenarios. You know, I bet that was an episode of Quantum Leap. Did you guys ever watch that show back in the day? That like, was, yes. Like, uh, that yes. show has been robbed and pillaged so much. Like, nice. A, uh, a new show will come out, like that show Tenant. I haven't seen it yet. New movie is supposed to be this yeah, total mind bender. And, uh, but what I heard of it. Is this going to be spoilers? No, no, I haven't oh, seen okay. it. But, you know, as what I was reading about it, I thought, hold on a second. Wasn't that a Quantum Leap episode? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> <He's talking about laughs> Christopher Nolan, the genius. And yeah, maybe he is. But it's like, no, no, I think he just ripped <laughs> that show off. Uh, yeah, quite possible. Right. Sorry, Chris. No, we, it's no the tidbits, man. Yeah, the tidbits so those are the tidbits. tripping us. Yeah, but here's the main thing I wanted to talk about. So now that I've turned one segment into four. Nicely done. Yeah. Uh, you guys may have seen Gallup released a poll uh, just a few weeks ago. I think actually a couple weeks ago. Uh, on the data that they had gathered comparing mental health November of November 2019 to mental health in America November 2018. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, they specifically were looking at how do you people self-rate their mental health? Do you say you have excellent mental health or on down to do, 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 do? And what they noticed was, surprise, general evaluation of those who say they have excellent mental health is down in the year of COVID. Who'd have thunk? So 43% of people uh, said that they were in excellent mental shape back in 2018. Uh, 34% of people say that they have excellent mental health now, uh, November 2019. Uh, a couple interesting just general observations that they pulled out of this. One was that the biggest losers were Republicans. The Democrats only had like a 1% change between the two years. of the, So they've been kind of down for a while. But Republicans actually dropped a, a significant – I think it was like 15% or something like that. That's interesting. Year to year. Yeah. Uh, however, <laughs> so even after that precipitous drop, 41% of Republicans said they still had excellent mental health. And only 29% of Democrats said that they had <laughs> mental health. And that was by far the biggest disparity okay. uh, you saw between two different um, groups being measured. I can't figure out what in late November would have been causing Ooh. all of the Republicans to feel down. Mm. I don't know. Hard to, hard to hard imagine. To me, I don't but know. Let me get those, those original facts straight. So Democrats just started off bad. In terms of yeah, their... I think they were thirty okay. percent in two thousand eighteen, and then they dropped to twenty nine percent in two thousand nineteen. Okay, hmm. so I'd be curious if they had done this like uh, in October, when you know all the polls were saying, "Oh, Trump might win." You know, I'm wondering if what we were actually seeing there was a, a trend, a graph heading north, you know, heading up, mm -hmm. and they just caught caught them on the rise. So. Be fascinating if they re re um, polled folks in January, for example. Like so that number might be different. Politics, polls, and news are bad for your mental health. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Uh, they they look across all the other demographics. They say, okay, what's the what's the change uh, between genders, male and female, between all the races, marital status, married, unmarried, age groups, broke it out in a bunch of different age categories. And what was interesting is that. Every single category, every other demographic they broke down, it was all 9% plus or minus one. So it was between 8 and 10% um, of a drop in, in reported mental health, with uh, politics being the only outlier mm. that, that, that caused a difference there. So otherwise, everybody's kind of had this 10% funk, uh, mm. to the 2019 funk, <laughs> with... One other notable exception, if you look down the chart of uh, for the percentage of mental health change, every number is negative except for one. There was one number mm. that was positive. One group actually said they had more excellent mental health this year. Pet owners? Than no. last year. Churchgoers. We've got a pet owners vote here. <laughs> you cheated. You're <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, I, saw, I actually saw this. Uh, it was an interesting... Uh, so yeah, it wasn't dog week. owners. It was churchgoers. At plus 4%, and very specifically, weekly church uh, yes. attenders. Uh, yes. attenders yeah. Weekly church attenders had a plus 4% mental health boost year to year. If you were a nearly weekly slash monthly church attender, or if you were a seldom never church attender, you actually saw a drop that was higher than any of the other demographics hmm. segments, except for Republicans. <laughs> this is interesting. Now, Some did of those they might be overlap. But okay, uh, isn't maybe, that fascinating? It is, and I was mm -hmm. about to ask you why. Why is this? Did they talk about that, or they're just dealing with data? Now, this is Gallup. They're kind of a data gatherer, okay. so their their job was not so much to do all the sociological studies that this uh, would tend to indicate. So in the next five minutes, we are going to do the sociological studies for them. I love it. Ooh. So you're welcome, Gallup. <laughs> Can we get an honorary doctorate? Yeah, or um, at least to pay uh, some kind of check, you know, to, to facilitate, you know, support the porch here. I don't know. Yeah. Um, we could use a couple more Harbor Freight moving blankets yeah. to help deaden the uh, sound around us. These are really nice moving blankets, by the way. I've they been, are. I've been Here's a plug them. to Harbor Freight. Yeah. They're not the thickest. They are cheap. Yep. And those clips that we use to hang them. Also Harbor Freight. Also Harbor really, Freight. Really high quality. And we haven't had a blanket fall down in the middle of an episode nope. yet. So nope. We've had other interruptions. Yep. All user error. Okay. But yeah, so my thought to you guys is what do you think explains that phenomenon? Why is it that regular church attenders have this boost? And, and is it because there's something about being at church that gives a boost is there something about the kind of person is this more of 
a side effect. There's a kind of psychology in a person who would be a regular church attender that that uh, leads to this, or is there some kind of a symbiotic relationship between the two? What well, do you guys pe- think? People that need to go to church, Chris, are just they're already weak, right? And so, so they and, and helpless and hopeless. So oh, this hold the on, Caleb's Caleb, so Mike is having speech. technical oh. difficulties. <laughs> Actually, this, you started this out with saying my comment to you is, and then you asked us questions. So I wasn't sure. <laughs> Just uh, kidding. Yeah, but we often uh, hear that. I didn't. Yeah. That's what you hear. That's what you hear. Obviously, that would be it. That would be a, Yes. Uh, an incorrect conclusion. I have a question. Oh, hi. yes. Yes. Now answer it. Answer the question. What do you think, Nate? Oh, you, okay. I thought you had another question. No, I have the same question. It's just Caleb I, I, didn't like it being filed as a comment. I kind of- He was uh, correct, so I re- recategorized. When you set this up, I kind of jumped to the- I think the you, you offered some theories here, the, to the middle one, that it, it doesn't necessarily- I think this doesn't speak so much to going to church every week as to the kind of person that chooses to go to church every week. It's, mm. a, it's an unusual phenomenon anymore- I don't know what the percentages are, but uh, I think in general, weekly churchgoers, that's not as common as it once was. And uh, and I think – so this speaks more to the kind of person that would choose to go to church. Uh, the other thing too is going to church is – it is a you – know, amongst other things, it's a strong social community mm. type of event. In a, in a day and age – and this has been documented when isolation and loneliness is contributing to declining mental health across the country, regardless of what demographic you're a part of. Uh, in, in that day and age, church is, 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 is kind of like an island of, of community in the midst of all that. And so I think that that certainly, certainly helps. The other thing that came to mind, and I, we can't speak to this, is I'm wondering what kind of be interesting – there's no way to get to this information, but in that period of time, what were pastors preaching on <laughs> every week? Mm. What, what books of the Bible were they preaching through? Uh, because I, it's just, again, that, I, so I think maybe symbiotic, is that how you described it? The, the middle theory, that, that's my initial take on it. Now, you've had a little more time to think about this, Chris. What do you think? I did, but Caleb's already warmed up. I saw him. He's ready to go. Oh, I thought he was going to no, start talking I mean, about I mean, religions He leaned in, again. he opened his in. mouth, uh, his beard was starting to <laughs> quiver. I wasn't gonna say quiver. You His know, beard radiates when he's waving ready. in the breeze, <laughs> breathing heavily into the mic. Yeah, don't do that. Oh no, is that not okay? Sorry, I'm disturbed. No. How do you could edit anything out, Chris? You're, I, you're, I can, you're, but like it takes a long fantastic. time. Fantastic. I'm gonna leave it in. Oh, that's fair. That one could be left in because it's part of the conversation. It is. Um, the uh, no, I, mean, I think uh, you know going to church weekly as a rhythm for one creates uh, creates a. Um, a schedule, you know, a rhythm in your life that you you look forward to. I think for Christians that we look forward to those things. Um, gives you a time when you like, like you said, Nate, you you connect with community. You see people that uh, that that you have common bonds with, but you also uh, reorient, um, you know, your your thinking. So even if you're going to a, a church that's maybe not a strong gospel preaching church, which hopefully you're not, but but you're still. There's some sort of a message. There's singing. Typically, there's things like that 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 kind of give you something to anchor to. Um, that when you know when when everything else is is going bad around you, you've got that. And it uh, now hopefully it's for us. You're you're coming in and and you're hearing the gospel and you're being reminded uh, that that God is sovereign and He's in control and that no matter what is happening in the world around us, that there's that. So I mean, I mean that that I know. For me, there's weeks when I get here, I, I need that, right? And so, because the week hasn't been great, but that helps me reorient, re-remember that, you know, that it's not all about me for one thing, but also God's in control. He loves me, um, that, that Jesus died for me. And those things give us hope and future and uh, and a reason to live, a reason to be happy and joyful. Absolutely. Nate? Uh, I was thinking about... You know, the reasons different people go to church on a weekly basis and, and I, you know, you'll get some outliers out there, but I, I think that that sense of, there is a sense of duty to God, but most people go beyond, far beyond that. And they go because, uh, it's important. It's important to them as an individual. It's important to their family. That's a, another thing that will re- be interesting to look at the demographics. Maybe Gallup's got this somewhere. The Gallup's weekly church goers, who are those people? And yeah. uh, are they are they generally married? Uh, do they generally have children? You know those sorts of things. I heard something fascinating recently. 
and I, I need to, maybe I'll bring back to the, to the porch here when we come back together, I'll get the study, but a study came out or it might've been a book was written a few years back and it talked about, uh, how a lot of times the folks that are pushing this, this really secular woke agenda and there's no gender, there's just, there's, it's a, you know, there's nothing. If you look at the people themselves, their lives, their personal lives are actually in direct conflict with the things that they say are important to them ideologically. Yeah. Uh, a lot of times they, even though they're pushing that there is no gender, a lot of times they are in fact married to someone of the opposite sex. Uh, even though they push that uh, family's not so important, that the nuclear family is not important. If you look at them, they in fact are, are a picture of it. So it's kind of an interesting thing. Uh, so I kind of, I, I just, I think it'd be fascinating to understand. Hey, they're a socialist. They sell $60 sweatshirts. Yeah, exactly. To prove they're a socialist. They believe in conscience, capital, conscious, yeah. conscience, capitalism. And then you start looking at things they invest in. It's like, okay, mm. there's, uh, in fact, there's a great book called the intellectuals. That's by Paul Johnson, the British historian. And he takes chapter by chapter, and it's just fascinating about the great intellectuals that have come up with all <laughs> these worldviews and how their personal lives were in direct conflict with what they were saying. So essentially, their message was hypocrisy. Uh, not that Johnson had an axe to grind, but great book if you get a chance to read it. Uh, but back to weekly church attendance, uh, I, I think it's fascinating, Chris. I'd love, I'd love to see. I'm guessing someone has put some, some, some study into this about why. Um, Gallup wouldn't have, but I'd be curious to see if someone else has. Yeah, I'm sure the, that information is also being worked on more as these types of polls continue to come out. And it is interesting to me when you begin to think of what's the difference between a semi-regular and a regular mm. church attender. Um, everybody's kind of heard that um, diagnosis of American young adult Christianity, that it's therapeutic moralistic deism. If that's your view of, if that's your view of what religion is for, then religion is catharsis, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's where you go to, to help you to feel better about yourself, about the world, et cetera. And then you'll go when you feel like you need it. Mm -hmm. And what's interesting is this poll, I think indicates among other things, if you go to church, when you feel like you need it, you're going to feel bad <laughs> most of the time. <laughs> but ironically, it's those who go to church because they believe that they should regardless of how they feel, they end up actually feeling a lot better about things. Mm. And that, you know, I think Caleb, you mentioned the concept of rhythms of life, that this is how we're designed to function, that there's healthy rhythms that we were meant to embody on a weekly basis. Um, rhythms of work, rhythms of rest, rhythms of relationship, rhythms of worship. And when we are faithful to those rhythms, that's a, that's, that's a massive counterforce to the stressors in, in a culture and in, in a world. And so it, it's really neat to me to see uh, the, the way that God's designed people to be. Uh, the, you guys probably heard of the book Anti-Fragile. Uh, I have laid heard out, of that. I yeah, sort that. of kind of laid out three major systems in, in the world. There's systems that are strong or hardy. Uh, they are resistant to stress uh, and wear out slowly. There are systems that are fragile. Uh, they are very susceptible to stresses and have to be protected a lot or they will just collapse and crumble. And then he said there's systems that are anti-fragile. That when you subject them to stress, they actually excel. They mm -hmm. do better the harder it is on them. And he was saying, you know, we, we want to try to design systems of business and academics and whatever else um, to to create anti-fragile systems so that when the stressors in life come along, it actually serves uh, to make things better. Sounds like the historical church. You often see that. Exactly. That thrives when persecuted. Yeah. And grows. And it's neat. This is in some ways, you know, to, to be fair, the Gallup poll was not just looking at, you know, conservative Protestant evangelical churches, right? It was looking at mm, weekly religious sure. service attenders. This would include yeah. non-Christians like Mormons and, and, and sure. various others um, as Muslims, well. Jews, um, sure. you know, various religions where there's weekly attendance. But it is interesting to see that those who have a strong moral ethic, they believe that there's objective right and wrong in the world. Those who believe in the value of, of standing alongside that in a community of like-minded people mm. and are committed to doing so regardless of circumstances and how they feel, that those people 
uh, when you put pressure on them, they actually do get stronger. It, it actually does amplify the benefits of that gathering. Hmm. And we would expect to find that broadly because that's the way humans were designed to work. But we should also expect that exceptionally and specifically when you have God's people gathered around God's word to, to worship the, the God of scripture as he's revealed himself, because that, that is what we were designed to thrive under. And so just as an encouragement to those listening to the porch, uh, find your local body. If you haven't already your place mm-hmm. to gather and do it weekly, even when you don't feel like it, not because you are trying to get your 4% mental health boost, <laughs> boost. <laughs> But because that's the way that we are designed to live in a fallen world where things like pandemics do happen. These are pre-COVID numbers. It'd be fascinating to see what kind of outdated numbers um, and how. A year from now? Yeah. Or, or, you know, even we've been at this for nearly a year. Well, no, this was up through this November? Was, yeah, this was up through November of this, this year. This well, year. I thought it was 2019. Well, some of the stuff he was talking yeah. about was 2019, but yeah, okay. this actually. You know what? You're right. I kept saying 2018, 2019. I should have been saying 2019, 2020. Okay. All right. That is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Dumb, yeah. dumb, <laughs> Numbers. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. Yeah. It was interesting. Now I am psyched up that I still yeah. going to church as much as the governor would allow me. Um, did you guys see the meme? <laughs> that does not narrow it down enough, my friend. Yeah, I saw there's only memes. one meme out I'm there. I'm a youth pastor. The, uh, I've seen a, a meme here and there. <laughs> I'm not really big in the Viva La, La, La Revolution uh, messaging that's going on. Um, you see this. That's you know, good. Some folks are like, we got to stage another tea party. And okay, you know, I, I'm a patriot. I get I where like they're coming tea. from. <laughs> yeah, why some throw it good away? friends of ours just gave, gave me oh. some of this Russian tea. Mm-hmm. I wasn't prepared. When we were to in speak. Sacramento. I, I learned to love this particular black tea. Then it has a picture of Tsar Nicholas II on it. Hmm. So they, they actually got me a whole bag of loose leaf oh. black tea Ooh. with the Tsar right on there. So do you mm. use like a little tea ball or do you, yeah, what do you use? Tea hippo. For, you have a tea hippo. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> <the> same <laughs> friends. Uh, they got us these little um, loose leaf tea holders, but they're like, Various, we have like there's like a duck billed platypus, and there's I think a cat, and there's a hippo, and they they they're like huh. silicone, they pop apart into two pieces. You dump your loose leaf tea in there, and they pop back together, and they're full of holes, and then you just throw it in your teacup. Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah, and they just sort of chill in there and nice to drink, staring at a hippo that's leaking black tea into your water. <laughs> that's there's kind of a, disturbing uh, now that I think about <laughs> it. Reminds me of a, there's a cast iron pig Ooh. steamer. The steam comes out of his nose. You put it on your wood fireplace. We have a wood fire, like oh, a wood cool. stove. Put it on top. And then as you it put, introduces moisture back in. Nice. And I, and I, somebody had posted that. I was like, man, I wish Linda would let me get that. It was like 105 bucks though. Oh. I don't think she would justify. How do you do just a regular like winter spice teapot? On the stove thing. That would be cool. That's what my grandma always used to do. And that yeah. let you know it was, it was smelling like winter, smelling like Christmas. Know. So she'd have her little metal teapot on the fireplace. And then inside would be the water with the cinnamon and some lemon and a few and nutmeg and things like that. I, I would have to start actually getting up and, and actually using the wood fireplace every day as opposed to just, uh, you know, on occasion. Yeah. The electric our, furnace is, our, did you fire, find your our fireplace works when I flip a switch. Is that does that do the same thing? It does not do the same thing. Apparently, <laughs> I, I think I have the same fireplace you do. <laughs> I really like it. I wish yeah. I had a remote. Our switch is going bad though. <laughs> the, I think I got to replace my switch. You have to flip it and then tap it like three times. And then you finally hear oh. the gas go. Oh well. Boom. I will say that looking down at that pilot light, I'm always thinking, you know, how close am I to? dying in a fiery explosion when I flip the fireplace on. Uh, as long as you're looking at the pilot light before you flip it on, yes. yeah, it should be fine. <laughs> if there's no pilot light on, yeah. then depending on what's going on in there. Oh, that meme, guys. Yeah. Uh, I was able to find it. It, it, it was this, this. I'm going to lean over and look at it. Yeah, look Ooh. at it. There we go. The seeds of the American Revolution were planted by those meeting in taverns, restaurants, and churches. Now do you understand why they want to force closures, keep you isolated, and censor you? Oh, so there we it's go. a conspiracy there, but I, I thought that was interesting that uh, there is something about community, whether, yeah. whether it's in the local pub, restaurant, or your church, that is where a lot of historically healthy communication has taken place. Not always in the pubs, um, 
But it is, isn't it interesting that now so many folks, their primary method for communicating with each other is online in the comments section. Um, is Which it, is known for being an extremely healthy oh, forum for communication. It's where I go to improve my mental health. Mm. Uh, sarcasm. Oof. Em- yeah, if you're there. noticing anything less than a plus 4% bump, do mm. not ever read a comment thread. Oh, <laughs> But if you're on Facebook, you can check out our latest oh, yeah. video. Oh, no. oh, nice. Jim Jab Sled Race. Yeah, Caleb's on a roll. Chris, if we play that, uh, that's public domain, isn't it? That so, soundtrack. Yeah, no. Nobody can see it. We ain't got, we ain't got. We ain't got time, we have for, time that. for that anyway. We ain't got time for that. Yeah. So, no, my no, 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 yeah. No, 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 I wrote some tidbits down real quick. <laughs> yeah. No. We're not. We're not. We can't. We can't do, we can't do that. So anyway, uh, thank you for the meme. But Anytime. You know, doesn't it make you pine for the day when people put thoughts together that were longer than memes? Oh. And they've collected those thoughts together in volumes of information that then families would treasure. Mm. Yes, like year to year, even generation to generation. Would they write mm. things down back then? I don't. They would. And they yes. might bind them. This that is totally a non. For Stephanie's listening, this is not a segue. <laughs> that is a segue. Another segue. To to Caleb's segment. Yes, I've got a story here. Oh, you have tidbits Deer Park, too. What is Deer Park family builds. Hey, you Christmas stole my tidbits idea out of books, but I have some tidbits first because Chris has some. You faxed my idea. Actually, so my phone was just blowing up, so I had to write one of them down. <laughs> I mean, the stories locally. I'm on local to this week, and you know, uh, locally, um, and restaurants. Uh, restaurants been talking about closing for good, perhaps. Uh, a lot of restaurants weighing that. A lot of restaurants crying out to the community, saying. You know, we're not open, but but our kitchens are, you know, please come order takeout or we're going to have to close for good. And and we've seen a lot of response from the community, you know, reaching out to the, some of those businesses that have done that. And we've also got a couple of businesses that just have announced that they're uh, going to be opening again, defying governor's orders. Um, and just, uh, you know, they have to or they're going to they're going to close and they're just realizing we we have to be open. You know, and uh, and they believe they can do so in a reasonable, safe way, more reasonable than uh, us going to Walmart or other places that we might frequent on a regular basis that are essential. They saying, hey, listen, we can create an environment and have been creating an environment that is just as safe, if not safer for you to come and eat uh, a meal prepared. Um, and so um, anyway, so that's some local stuff we could talk about, but we're not going to talk more about than that. Um, other than, yeah, just a reminder to support. Yeah, folks around here, if you can, somebody's got to have compiled a good list of just the restaurants, you know, because Wendy's is open. We the Inlander had some, I think. Go, I like Wendy's, but the Inlander, the Inlander, had, the Inlander had a list. The Inlander, do they have yeah. a list? Yeah. The, one, the Inlander. Oh, that's right. Yes. That's what if it was. one of you guys find that list again, um, shoot me the link, and I will put it on bombadillsporch.com. Okay. I yeah. totally want to talk restaurants, but I don't. I know we don't have time. We don't have time for that. No, so let's talk satellites. Um, and then Instead. another story I really wanted to bring down to a local level because it wasn't really local. Is and, a, and he would a, a have new, to bring it down to a local. level. I would level. have to. Is a, this a new satellite can peer inside buildings day or night? How? How is it possible? It's possible. Um, this uh, this new this article in. Uh, I'm going to make sure I'm clothed at all times in my house. Yeah, now. you do. You ba- do need to with a bathing suit on and everything. And there now, you go. Now yes. I'm going to be freaking out. So a few months ago, a company called Capella Space launched a satellite capable of, of doing this, taking clear radar images of anywhere in the world. And the, the incredible thing is, and you can see through through walls and buildings, not all walls and buildings. I mean, there's probably some bunkers that they can't see through, um, but they can see through a lot. And, uh, and day or night, rain or shine. And so there have been good satellites that can see a lot of this stuff, but they can do it all the time. Wow. And, uh, and it's kind of... Cool, because like Santa, for example, can know if you've been sleeping or not. Thought it was yeah, he not knows when you're awake. Nice. I thought, well, oh, that's he knows right. when he you've knows, been sleeping. That's right. Okay. He knows when you're awake. He knows when you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness' sake. Which makes sake. him how a legalist for goodness' yeah. sake. Well, of course, he this is. satellite though. How did he know? Well, I know. Maybe well, he was the satellite. It, it does see, disappoint oh, me that they yes. didn't call it something like Nicholas Two or something. It's Capella Two. It's like, come on. Except that this is the satellite that they're telling you about. Well, yes, yeah, 
Absolutely. Anyway, interesting story. Um, just think about that for a while while you're sleeping in your bed tonight. That such a the tease. satellite might be flying over and know exactly where you are. Such a tease with the tidbits. Yes, I want to the talk tidbits more about are a tease. Satellite. You wish yeah. upon a star. Tidbits. It can see you now wherever you are. That's right. <laughs> no, the story I wanted to talk about, more of a, a feel-good uh, Deer Park Family builds Christmas tree out of books. Yeah, and people have done this before. It's not. A, it's not a, a brand new thing. Theirs is actually. This needs to be a tradition. Pretty cool. Um, so yeah, they made. A, I saw the picture. It was that was legit. Yeah, KXLY ran this. You can go to um, kxly.com, probably find it. Um, anyway, uh, pretty cool. Slash some deer pictures. hyphen park hyphen family hyphen builds hyphen Christmas hyphen. Yeah, you might want to yeah, go to their front page. Is it, is it hollow? I'm looking at the pictures. So it is hollow books. and they have oh. a lamp in the middle. If you haven't been reading oh. my notes, Nate thinks it's in there. Try not to Eight read feet it. tall. Wow. <laughs> uh, they did put a lamp in it uh, this year. So it would let some light out through the, through the cracks and gaps at night. It's cool. Um, and the books, of course, have to be sorted. They talk about in the article about how they have to sort them by size, first of all. So the, the, the younger kids, um, uh, do that. They, they sort all the books by size. Um, then they, they don't exclusively do, do each layer by size. They do reserve the right to put some books in that are meaningful in certain places, regardless of, their size, but then they start with the larger books, of course, in the bottom, and then smaller books I'm, as they work their way out. Looking at the books they've used, I've zoomed way in here, and yeah. uh, they've got uh, the footsteps of Jesus right next to Dean Kuntz, yeah. Orson Scott Card, and Into Thin Air by John Krakauer. This yeah. is an interesting. They're into family. some crime thriller stuff yeah. too. They Survive, said, uh, yeah, um, Little House on the Prairie. Okay, hmm. but so some some of the books are special books for them that they've. You know, specifically placed in certain places that uh, that are in, in important to them. They said the bottom layer contains the childcraft books that they get. This their grandfather, one of them specifically, a book of poems that they they remember their grandfather reading to them while they sat on his lap, oh, that's and cool. uh, and just talking about how that was the foundation for their family's love of reading. That's really cool. and uh, isn't that cool? That's special. And cool. so. I, yeah, a couple of thoughts I had is is you know just who even has well let me let me just get. To the rest of this first, and then I'll, then I'll I'll talk about it. But uh, the the very top book, uh, the top book on the very top, and then there's a T Rex on top of that. But that's got some inside story, I think, from them. But um, <laughs> but is their grandmother's leather bound Bible? Wow! And they talk about how the importance of of that that is. And they in uh, one quote said, "It's a way to stay connected to our roots and to our past, and to keep those people who passed on, keep them here with us for the holidays, especially." But, but cool, just seeing their their love for books, but also for the values that they see instilled through a lot of that reading, um, through especially scripture, and as you mentioned, some some books about Jesus and things like that in there. Um, obviously, some other books, probably like Harry Potter and other books. But what was kind of piqued my interest or kind of got me really thinking about this is, you know, Chris has been looking for bookshelves for his yeah. new office, and if anybody listening to the porch. Has hardwood bookshelves that they don't like. <laughs> yeah, well, and so I've been on or staff. Or something that can hold up actual books. It's it's hard to find bookshelves. It's hard to find bookshelves, bookshelves. that don't cost more than my car or yeah. a small house. I mean, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the reality. If you're going to get some really nice bookshelves, and and I uh, before coming on staff here at the church was was in the furniture industry, um, managing a furniture store, and. And we've seen in trends um, through furniture how bookcases have just kind of dropped off. I mean, bookcase manufacturers, it's hard to find mm. bookcases because people don't have books anymore. That's the reality is people are not buying books. We've got the advent of, of you know, the, your, your digital book. And so everybody's got your Kindle or your Nook or your iPad, and it's so much more convenient in a lot of ways for people just to get their books digitally. Mm -hmm. You can have it anywhere you go. I mean, the library I have on my on my iPad is is phenomenal, or on my computer compared to you know all the books that I had, for example, that I left in Italy. And we've amassed a small library now, um, more probably in my office than I have at home. But even with the books that we have and we like to read, I don't think we could build a uh, a tree. Uh, to match well, this tree. Trying to do a little mental math in my head. Okay, so if you said a, a book was maybe a, on an average an, an inch thick on the spine, sure. okay, eight foot tall, that's ninety six layers, right? Yep. Okay. And then if you, even if it was just ten books in a ring, that's almost a thousand 
books. Now, I'm assuming the those bottom layers are probably more, more like 15, yeah. 20 books to get sure. those lower yeah. rings down. So you're probably beating the tar out of 1,500 books in a tree, an eight-foot-tall Christmas tree. That's a lot of books. That's and a I was lot just, of books. It, what was struck me is, is how many books they have because people don't seem to have that many books anymore. And so that's pretty phenomenal. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's cool. The tree is cool. But the fact that they have that many books is also really cool. And I was encouraged yeah. to see that there are actually people out there that do still care about reading and that do still care about books. Amen. And, mm. I, and I will say we're not – I don't think – we're trying to hate on the digital book revolution either uh, as somebody that interacts with books mm-hmm. and information in books frequently. I'm really thankful for my digital library system. As a pastor, I use it almost daily, if not daily. But there's a difference. Uh, a book can be a source of information. A book can also be an artifact, a thing in and mm-hmm. of itself. Uh, and, and there's, I think, a, a reason to treasure good books that exist in that medium of a book, of a codex, uh, as something that is quite valuable. It does alter the way that you think about things. Uh, going even back before the advent of the book, the way you thought about scripture if you were growing up in a Jewish synagogue was different because it was on a scroll. And so you ne- you don't flip around in a scroll. Right. You can't. And you so roll and unroll. You and- slowly <laughs> unroll it. And each week you would read your Torah, your half Torah reading on the next portion of the unrolled scroll. And then once every three years, when you reach the end of their main uh, Torah scroll reading, they have this big celebration where you roll the scroll all the way back to the beginning. And that changes how you think about the way that that information flows. The book is a different thing as well. And there's something about holding in your hand a book that's containing words that are designed to be a delight to read. And I think we need to still value and treasure that that tangibility. We aren't digital creatures. Our brain is not just simply software that we've found a more efficient way to feed a program into. We're, we're physical beings, and that act of reading a tome of, of a classic book is, is really to be treasured. While at the same time, enjoying the fact that when the purpose of the book is just to be able to transmit information that you want to access to accomplish work, doing that digitally is awesome. Awesome, because it all of a sudden takes the tedious work of flipping constantly trying to find where this factoid is. I can search and boom, there's there's that information I'm mm-hmm. looking for in 15, 20, 50 books ready to go for me to work with and to use that information. So I, I'd love to see our culture get to the point where we we all wanted nice bookshelves because the books that we have are no longer the cheap trade paperbacks. Mm-hmm. They're valuable to us. They're va- these these are the books that represent the ideas that have changed our mind and sure. changed our lives, and these are the treasures that we want to hold and we want our grandkids to also be stacking on Christmas mm-hmm. and then reading, you know, in the future. <laughs> and another thing with digital books, depending on your platform, you do not own. Those books, a lot of times. I mean, Amazon. You don't. True. You don't own that. You have paid for a right to access it, but Amazon owns it, and so you go. But but I got all these Kindle books for they're mine. How can they ruin? No, if they want to, at some point they can say, you know what, we're no longer going to have religious books or whatever, or we're going to take away something, and they can remove it and force a removal from your device, even, and that's that's completely within their rights. Same with uh, Barnes and Noble has has statements in there and their policies that make that clear as well. And so, I mean, a lot of those things. Now, others, I think others, my guess is like Logos and some of those other things, you're actually buying the the book. I'm not sure how that works, but... Uh, yeah, that is different. Uh, so... Here's a call too. Here's a fun, fun contemporary craft. I'm starting to try to get into the art of book binding. I'm... Mm. Had some unsuccessful attempts, and I've had some moderately successful attempts. But so many of the best books ever written are public domain. Hmm. Uh, To find these bits of digital files that are floating around the internet and to actually take some of them and turn them back into real-world objects that can be handed down through your family, that's kind of a fun hobby. If you can develop a really good printer and good paper technique, then you're onto something. Yeah. Absolutely. That that is I'm not sure if the church copier is the, is actually, the primo paper, but... Uh, well, I mean, you can get copier. your own paper, but yeah, laser copying and stuff is actually pretty good. It's pretty good. It is it's pretty, pretty good. good. The, the toner is. and stuff they use today, as long as you go acid-free paper and stuff, is actually pretty good. Um, but yeah, yeah that's just nice. a fun little yeah. niche it's nerd hobby for some of you niche? out there. I'll have to check niche? out your, your, your niche. work. I don't know. Niche? I've read both ways. 
What were you saying, Nate, <laughs> before we argued about niche? Oh, I'd like to continue that argument. That'd be interesting. Uh, I was going to say, I have to come check out your, your bookbinding workshop mm-hmm. sometime. Yeah, it's super ghetto, but it's fun. That's that's the best uh, workshop. I, I think, um, I don't know about you guys, I, I, I love the digital books primarily for, you mentioned search. And then also when I take my notes, it's kind of easier to go back and look at your notes, right? Mm-hmm. Or to find something. That's always... Uh, bothersome, but there's nothing like opening a book uh, to interact with. Yeah, there's just something about it. I, I don't know what you guys do, yeah. but even even in a, my work world, I tend to print a lot of things to read. If I'm reading for editing or or something along those lines, I tend to print those. Even if it's just a few sheets, double sided. There's something different about it. Being able to notate it easily and quickly with a pen or whatever, so much easier. Yeah, hmm. and I think as technology advances, the the interaction between the physical versus digital will probably shrink as they perfect some of these these technologies. Mm-hmm. But I think there will always be a, a fun place just for the look, the feel, the smell, the the texture, and and what it and the symbolic value, a volume that sits on a shelf and says this 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 book and the ideas and the language that it contains are a possession of its owner. Mm. Yeah, but. Uh, yeah, any thought, last thoughts on that, Caleb? Nope. 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 Yep. Nope. Yep. Nope. <laughs> well. I shared my last thoughts. Excellent. <laughs> well, then, I think we probably all shared enough thoughts for today. We will have more to share with you shortly, but that's it for this episode. We do thank you for joining us with this view of God's world. We do enjoy uh, the chance to talk about these things amongst ourselves. It's been a blessing for us. We hope it's also an encouragement to you. Feel free to subscribe to our podcast if you haven't already on your podcast platform of choice. We do also encourage you to visit bombadillsporch.com. If you are thinking, what would be uh, an appropriate Christmas gift to Bombadil's Porch? Because we just can't get enough of Caleb's jib-jab videos. Um, leave us a voicemail. That yes. would be, yes, leave us a voicemail. Or an email. Or an email. We would just love to hear from you guys, but go to bombadillsporch.com. You can find a place uh, to leave us a voicemail or send us an email at bombadillsporch at gmail.com. We would love to have uh, more feedback from you guys and hear what's up in your world. But I will leave us today with a quote from To Kill a Mark- Mockingbird by Harper Lee, uh, picking up a conversation in which the comment is made, Atticus was right. One time he said, you never really know a man until you stand in his shoes and walk around in them. Just standing on the Radley porch was enough. And so we hope that the time that you have spent with us as we draw towards a close, we have a few more episodes, but towards a close of our initial season on the porch, uh, you've probably gotten to know more about us than we're comfortable with. <laughs> but we do appreciate that you've you've joined us on this journey. We would love to get to know more about you as well. And so for myself, Nate and Caleb... We wish you a Christmas season full of fellowship and meaningful connections, whether on the porch, the family room, or wherever you happen to gather. <laughs>